Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would speak now in ways that we can hear you. Help us to lay aside the things that may be weighing on us or distracting us so that we might be attentive to your word and responsive to your will. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. So over this past year, um, as they have discovered unmarked graves near residential schools across this country, you've got to ask your question: the question, can colonial ever be a good thing? Can colonization ever be a good thing? And, you know, oftentimes it is not. Most often it is not. Either it means you've got a parasite, right, and it's being colonized in your body, never a good thing, or it comes with might and arrogance and racism, and what it does is that it subjects people around them. But can it be a good thing? When Paul talks about us being uh, citizens of heaven, I think that is an opportunity for this word to actually mean a good thing because we here and now are called to um, reflect the character of heaven to the world around us. So we're talking freedom and genuine relationship and spirituality and justice and beauty. We reflect those things as, as colonists of the kingdom. So today as we look at the passage today, it might be jarring to hear that, and good, because the way it's been done and the, and the way the world reflects it has been evil. But what we are called to do is reflect the goodness and the love of God to the world around. So let's take a closer look. When Paul starts off this passage, I have to, uh, I have to say I cringe a little bit. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and, follow, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This sounds like Paul is saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that is so destructive. I, I got to tell you, in the, since COVID began, four of my heroes of the faith have fallen. Four people that I have put on pedestals have been disqualified from ministry because of sexual misconduct mostly. And in addition to that, another person gave me a snarky response when I reached out to her with a message. Can you believe that? I'm not looking at her. What does Paul mean when he says, look at me? Um, we need to, to get that. We need to look at uh, the passage you read last week. Um, could we read this together? Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Thank you. So very important. Paul knows he is not perfect. And he is not saying, look at me because I am the perfect example of the faith. He is saying, join with me in following the example of Jesus, in imitating Jesus. Join me in keeping your eyes securely fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
And that's something that I think is worthy to do. Because we are, if we all have the same goal, we will mess up. We will make mistakes. We will get it wrong. But if we are keeping our eyes on Jesus together, that is what really defines the church of God. Now, that's what he means, keep your eyes on Jesus, imitate Jesus. But why? Why should we do this? And he says, because there are people who live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Well, what do we mean by that? What does Jesus mean by the cross? We look in Matthew chapter 10, um, and maybe we could read this together too. Jesus says, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will find it. So the message of the cross is that we need to displace ourselves as the center of our lives. It's not all about me. It is about God and putting him in the center. So when we say that we are picking up our cross daily, we are actually putting death to self and engaging in selfless love, agape love, where we seek the betterment of people around us so that we can reflect the heart of God. That's what it means. So when we talk about enemies of the cross, it's people who are living for other goals, power or money or prestige. And these things destroy. It destroys a human heart, the human spirit. It doesn't add to it. Now, why should we follow Paul's example here in this? Is that he's, He warns them that there are enemies of the cross and he doesn't say, oh, we need to get rid of them. They're destroying the world. He says that he's telling them with tears. He grieves for them because they're missing out on what abundant life is. These people allow their cravings to rule over them so that their desires are, are what they live for. Um, they, it says that they, they, their God is their belly, whatever it is they can consume. Their glory is their shame. You know, when we, when we you know, maybe your life's possession is to, your, your life's desire is to acquire 30 or 40 motorcycles. Various makes and models, vintages, you know. In the end, who would get those motorcycles? Not you. So it's not worth it. It'd be kind of cool though. But if you're living for things that are lesser than what God has for you, your life will not be as rich. Is this something to get angry at people for? No. We love people. We grieve for them when we're separated. Um, but we're encouraged to set our sights high on Jesus himself. So that's one beautiful way. How do you treat your enemies? With love. <laughs> that's how he models it there. Okay. The next part of the passage is kind of hard to understand. Um, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we look at this passage, just read it like that, we could easily say, well, that means that we don't really belong here. We belong in heaven. And so our ultimate goal is to go to heaven when we die. So as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we don't really have any responsibility for the world around us. And that is a, that's, a, that's a problem. Because we're actually called to be influencers of the world for the kingdom. So in order to get this, I'm going to get names wrong, Eva, so if I do, shout at me. <laughs> Paul is writing to a, gr a group of people in Philippi. 
And a hundred years before this letter was written, there was a battle that took place close to this area. And it was when Julius Caesar was assassinated, there was civil war in the Roman Empire. And so they broke off into two main leaders and one beat the other. And what happened is that at the end of this time, there was all these, all these soldiers who just won a war with nothing to do. So they had an option. They could bring everybody back to Rome, which was already overcrowded and not enough work. And let's face it, if they had all of these out-of-work soldiers and they brought them back to the capital, we would have another freedom convoy. Right? A bunch of people with loud noises trying to control the government. So we didn't want that, did we? So they said, instead, we're going to give you victorious soldiers citizenship. And we're going to let you colonize Philippi. This was not good news for the local Greeks. They were treated like any other local when there's a colony established. But for them, their citizenship was their pride and joy. And Paul was writing to the children and or the grandchildren of these soldiers who had citizenship. Now, here's the thing. Rome didn't want them to go back to Rome. Rome wanted them to establish Roman culture and ways in a different area in Philippi. So it doesn't make sense for them to want to go back to Rome because they, were to, they had a purpose to make a Roman area in Asia Minor. And that's what's happening for us too. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we are called to colonize earth with the values of the kingdom of God, which reflects the heart of God. That's why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are called to be loyal <clears throat> to, the, to the place that, that sent us here. <clears throat> now, if the Philippians got into trouble, if barbarians came down, or if the locals rose up and they were resisting them, they would send a message to Rome and they would say, come send your army and liberate us, defend us. And the cool thing here is that Caesar was known as Lord and Savior of the earth. So when Paul says here, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, from heaven, the Lord, Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He appeals to Jesus as the true Lord, the true Savior, and their hope is not escape from this world, but transformation for the world so that it reflects the glory of God. We have a job to do here and now. Several years ago, I, I took a, a mission team down to New York, and, um, and we got to see all the wonders of New York, Rockefeller's Ice, the skating rink there, and Central Park and the Empire State Building, Brooklyn Bridge, all these things that I've seen in a hundred movies uh, growing up and just think, oh, I'm here. And if you were to talk to any New Yorker, it is their pride and joy. They are proud of their city. It's the greatest city in the world. Try to convince them that Toronto is better. Won't work. <laughs> 
And for the Philippians, their pride and joy was the Roman architecture and the governance structure and the fact that they were living as Romans in a new part of the world and, and they were just kicking it, right? When Paul talks about the church, just listen to this. My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. Paul doesn't glory in architecture or buildings. He glories in the people, the church, because it's the people that reflect the character of Jesus when they believe and are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is the people that are his joy, his pride and joy, his glory. And we carry on that. And our treasure is not buildings. Our treasure is the fact that we are a colony of heaven here and now. And here Paul gives the biggest challenge in his letter to the Philippians. Stand firm in, in, for the true Lord. He was telling them not just to be constant in their daily devotions, but to be steadfast in their allegiance to Jesus rather than Caesar. To live this way, the way of the cross, rather than the way of power and brutality. And we too are called to live out our allegiance to Jesus and to see that he is the center of our lives, that we are seeking to exalt him in all that we say, in all that we do. And it can be unpopular. It can be uncomfortable. But we respond to, to, uh, to anger and suspicion with love. We reflect the heart of Jesus. The word colony and colonial They've properly been taken as a negative meaning for people in our world today because it is often accompanied with arrogance and power, squashing local people, customs, and cultures. But to be a kingdom colony is to reflect the heart of Jesus, to live humbly, lovingly, healingly, and to establish authentic relationship with the world around us here and now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into our mess to bring your light. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come more and more into the center of our lives so that we can be filled with your light and reflect your character to the world around us. Lord, be glorified in your church and let us be your agents of peace in this world, your agents of healing. And Lord, please be glorified in your church. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen.